NFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of the Mojo Sports AFL Show. I'm your host, Callum Duck. Joining me on the show today is Nathan Jennings and Ash. Uh, boys, it was a fantastic round of footy. Uh, we had the gather round in Adelaide this week and uh you know, being in Adelaide myself, it was just fantastic for the town. Um, I know lots of people came from interstate to watch it, um, and we'll get your thoughts on it in just a mean, just a meantime. Uh, if you're finding us, uh, make sure that you go and follow our Instagram page, which is Mojo Sports AFL. Stay up to date with all of our content, and make sure that you head over to Spotify to listen to our weekly episodes. Nathan, how are you going, mate? Yeah, very well. Happy Crow supporter again. Uh, another good win for the boys. We'll get into it later. Slightly upset that I couldn't get home over the weekend to be there in person for Gather Round, but I tell you what, it was a cracking weekend of footy to watch on TV and so happy to see Adelaide getting the spotlight it deserves as a true footy state. Absolutely, mate. Couldn't agree with you more. Ash, how are you, mate? Oh, I mean, if you asked me on Thursday night, no, I wouldn't have said too good, but slowly recovering. Yes, uh, we've all had those weeks, mate. That was me a couple of weeks ago after the showdown. And uh, I'm very happy that my Port boys got the win in the end. Um, It was a pretty competitive game against the Dogs. I'm very uh, scrappy conditions to say the least, but um, four points on the board. So I'm really happy about that. Um, As we touched on, yes, it was a big round of footy gather round. Uh, The Crows kicked the round off very nicely on Thursday night with a big win over Ashes Blues. Sorry to rub salt into the wound, mate, but um, I thought the Crows were electric on um, Thursday night and that led into Friday night as well with Fremantle getting a really close win over the Suns at Norwood Oval. And then Tom Papley set Adelaide Oval on fire with six goals against the Tigers. Uh, Just so many great stories from the weekend. Tom Papley was, um, you know, someone who's, Fantastic to watch on Friday night. Um, Nathan, what was your game of the round? Uh, and you yeah, can't think, say the Crows. I think outside of Thursday night, I um, oh, that's a tough one. There's a lot of good games. I actually, as much as it kills me to say it, I thought Port Adelaide Bulldogs was a really, really good game to watch. Um, purely from the spectacle that it was close in really tough and trying conditions and the fact that, you know, the doggies took it right up to Port Adelaide um, up into that fourth quarter. And then the fact that Port Adelaide were able to get on top, uh, we'll talk about him later, later, but his fourth quarter through Jason Horn Francis was fantastic. Um, that was probably the game of the round for me, I thought, um, overall and given the conditions as well. And Ash, what games did you like from the weekend? I think that Pies and Saints was a a, a very good game. I think in the first three quarters it was uh, really tight, sort of back and forth, and even by three-quarter time, margin was only about a goal difference. In the fourth, you saw Collingwood have a four-goal lead or roughly about that much until the Saints sort of took the last couple of minutes, almost had a comeback, and, uh, yeah, made it really interesting for neutrals to watch. I'm going to go for something slightly different. I thought the Hawthorne and GWS game was actually a cracking one to watch. Um, you know, two sides, um, you know, who have been under a little bit of criticism the last few weeks. And um, I think it was really good for Adam Kingsley and the Giants to get a win in this game. Um, you can't be dropping games when you're, you know, down the bottom of the ladder to, you know, so- sides around you. So, um you know, I don't think people are obviously expecting Hawthorne to do much this year, but um, it's good to see Hawthorne being competitive and pushing um, a team like the Giants. So um, I still think that's positive science for Sam Mitchell's Hawks. But um, Gather Round is now staying in Adelaide for the next three years, which uh, as an Adelaide person, I'm absolutely uh, ecstatic about. Um, And I think it gives the state government and the AFL a bit more planning time. Um, It allows for, um, you know, better infrastructure to be built. There have been some talks about, um, you know, spreading out the games a little bit more um, instead of having those Adelaide Oval double double headers, but maybe taking it to some more suburban grounds. We saw Norwood get a couple of games and the game in Mount Barker as well was pretty well supported. I think roughly about 8,000 people headed out to Mount Barker, which is about 45 minutes out of Adelaide for those of you who don't know. Um, there's been some talk of taking a game to McLaren Vale, which is a lovely wine region 
about 45 or so minutes out of Adelaide. Um, and then obviously the big one that everyone's talking about is taking some games out to the Barossa Valley um, to really, you know, highlight those tourist areas of Adelaide. So, um, Ash, I'll throw it to you first this time. What do you think about uh, Gather Round staying in Adelaide? And if you don't think it should have stayed in Adelaide, where do you think it uh, should have gone or and where do you think it could go in years to come? I think good for South Australia to have um, to have Gather Round staying in Adelaide for the next few years. It certainly makes up for Damien Barrett's uh, proposition to have the uh, showdown move to Melbourne which uh, I'm not sure how I sort of feel about Rubbish call there from Damo. That's a rubbish call from Damo. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it's good, especially if there was some slightly better weather, probably could have um, attracted some bigger crowds. But, yeah, I think it's good for the state. Um, better to have it sort of in South Australia compared to sort of a NRL, um, a pop- popular state like New South Wales or Queensland, although AFL is getting more popular there. But yeah, good on South Australia. I'm sure we'll get better in years to come. I'm looking forward to it. And maybe, I mean, I was going to say maybe in the in years to come, I'll pop a trip there for the Carlton Games and seeing our track record uh, interstate at South Australia recently, or in fact, in general, I don't think we've won at Adelaide Oval ever. So I'm not sure I'll be making the trip over anytime soon. Yeah, well, um, hopefully next year you won't draw the uh, the crows or boar um, when you come over and uh, if you come over, we'll certainly have a beer or two. Uh, Nathan, what are your thoughts about your home state getting um, gather around for the next three years? Yeah, look, I, personally I'm stoked and so is my family because it now means it's locked in for three trips home in the next three years. But I think it's a great coup for South Australia. I think we've proven over the last 30 years that we're a massive football state um, and we get behind our teams, whether it's the Crows or Port Adelaide. And I think that showed, you know, 40-plus thousand to each of the each of the games at Adelaide Oval and then, you know, capacity crowds at Nord and at Mount Barker. You know, it's almost like if you build it, will come sort of a thing. And, you know, with the potential of it going out of the Brosser and McLaren Vale, um, fantastic regions within Adelaide or South Australia, rather, and really, really exciting. You know, I heard um, people talking about it being potentially the biggest uh, wine tour in the Barossa Valley when you uh, do a wine tour that leads straight into a game of football. You know, what better way to sort of feature South Australia with its passion for football and, you know, it's really good wine as well. Um, But super exciting. And I, I think the best part about it as well is that you know it's going to grow south australia it's easy to get to for everyone it's sort of in the middle of the country um so it's accessible to all the states and you know really great uh vibe in adelaide i've been told as well especially with live golf now as well really putting us on the map i reckon so it's fantastic yeah i couldn't agree with you uh more nathan i think um it's such a great thing and i think peter malinowskis uh the premier of south australia deserves a lot of credit he was the one that really uh, you know, drove for this. And the fact that we were able to put it all together in five months was, you know, spectacular. And um, I think with a year, a proper year's uh, preparation time, it's just going to lead to, to bigger and better thing. Um, you know, more money from the government going into, you know, you know, creating better quality infrastructure, um, you know, doing up some grounds around, around the city. Uh, I think it's going to be really good. Hopefully, um, you know, places like Glenelg might be able to get a game as well, you know, share, share the love a little bit. Um, I do think it was great to have some double headers at Adelaide Oval, but, um, you know, it would be good to try and spread it out so that, you know, people might not um, have to pick and choose between games. You know, we saw a little bit of overlap on the Sunday uh, between the GWS and Hawthorne game as the Collingwood and um, St Kilda game. So most most people decided to go to the Collingwood and St Kilda game based on where that are, they're at at the moment. Um, let's move into some other major talking points uh, from the weekend. So uh, the dumping tackles, sling tackles, whatever you want to go with, they're still lingering around after five rounds. And um, we saw a few players cop a week. So Zach Merritt's going to miss Anzac Day. Uh, Taylor Adams is also going to miss Anzac Day. Uh, and Tom Green has accepted a one-week uh, suspension for his sling tackle. I think Tom Green's was probably the worst of the three of them um, and probably had the most potential to cause injury, which we've talked about on the podcast the last few weeks. Um, I think Green should have probably got two weeks if you're comparing it similar similar to the Ryan Burton-type incident. Um, I thought Burton was pretty unlucky to get two weeks considering uh, the su- suspensions that have been handed out since round two. Um, 
Nathan, I'll hand it over to you, mate. What are your thoughts about those three tackles from the weekend? Yeah, look, I think all of them are fair to be missing games. Uh, the AFL and, you know, the Tribunal and uh, the MRO have all made it clear now that if you sling and the head hits the ground, then you're in trouble. Um, so we finally found, you know, this place or this line of the sand that that is a suspension regardless. I think the only thing now is making sure we get the gradings right. As you said, um, you know, I look at like a Taylor Adam and a Zach Merritt and I go, oh, okay, yep, sure. But, yeah, Tom Green, probably not comparable to those two. So I think we finally hit the mark with the sling tackle. I think now it's just the grading because um, I look at, yeah, the Taylor Adam one and, you know, that is low impact, I thought. Um, but, again, anything including the head now and the sling is probably going to be a weak um, so yeah, I do think probably Tom Green is the luckiest of the three, but I, I, I think it's all warranted. I think, you know, we've got to the point in the game now where protecting the head is that important that if you choose to sling, um, there's a suspension. And we've now seen Alistair Clarkson came out today and said that, you know, North Melbourne are going to be looking at tactically how to tackle better and, you know, how to execute, you know, a, a dumping tackle or a sling tackle without them being suspended as well. So finally, the message is getting through to the clubs that we have to change our approach in the contest when we hit the players and how we tackle properly now, I think, which is a positive sign for the league as well. And uh, so I'll throw, throw it to you, mate, on your thoughts about this particular topic. Well, I don't know. I might have a slightly um, controversial opinion, but I, I think um, with these, all these suspensions, record number probably, I don't know if we've ever seen so many suspensions in the opening five rounds this season, but it's making me slightly concerned about sort of the state of the game at the moment? Because on one, on one hand, you want to obviously reduce concussion and, and the issues with, you know, your brain after a time and the safety of players. But on the other hand, sort of how much is is too much? And I understand, um, you know, when Nathan Broad got his four-week suspension, I, I was pretty sort of shocked because I thought that bumps like Pickett and McAdam, clear non-football actions were significantly worse. Um, but it seems to me like we're getting to a stage where, you know, every second tackle is dangerous, careless, slinging, dumping, et cetera. Um, you know, just this week we've seen Green, Adams, Merritt. Last week we saw Rowan and Will Day. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that um, the game has gone soft or whatever, and especially as someone who plays um, your footy, you know, there are genuine contests where you feel for your well-being and the safety of your head and your face. So you, you want to reduce that. but Tackling is an essential part of the game. And I think there is a very fine line between um, tackling with ferocity and what is sort of deemed a dangerous tackle. And most of the time, it's not even something that the person tackling can control. It depends a lot about sort of the core strength of the player being tackled, how stable they're on the feet, how they land. Um, so I'm, I'm not here trying to call for fewer suspensions or a more laid back approach when it comes to sort of concussion prevention, um, but the MRO and the AFL sort of need to have a bit of a think about what stance um, they see themselves taking for the future of the game. And clearly they've been pretty um, set on that so far, but, you know, we've already heard numerous coaches say that the bump is dead. I sort of feel that we potentially are heading into a bit of a slippery slope where in five or ten years' time, you know, maybe it's the tackle that could be dead. Well, you'd certainly hope that's not the case. And um, out of those three suspensions, I think Taylor Adams was unlucky. You know, last year he probably gets off for that. Um, um, But I think it kind of leads to a a bigger issue about umpires just taking too long to blow the whistle. Um, You know, they need to reward the tackler. And, you know, if if a player, you know, is, you know, thinking about, the well-being of the player that they're tackling. It's that's a really good intention, obviously. Um, but at the same time, what's their coach going to say if they, you know, if that player, you know, breaks that tackle um, because you don't bring him to the ground. So I think the onus is on the AFL um, and the umpires to, you know, reward the tackler and make decisions a bit more quickly. So um, I know as a fan myself of the game, um, sometimes, you know, you've got four umpires out on the field, like how hard is it to, you know, I know they want to try and let things go sometimes. And I think that the umpires are quite whistle happy this year. So 
you know, I just think they should reward the tackle a bit more. Nathan, your thoughts? Yeah, it's actually interesting you mentioned that. I've realised over the last couple of weeks that in a contest, they are letting them play a lot longer before they blow the whistle for either holding the ball or to ball it up again, um, which I find really, really interesting. Normally, and in the past, they've been quite hot on, you know, quickly calling holding the ball or quickly calling for a ball up as well. And I also wonder as well if the umpires are still having like a bit of a feeling out process with the fourth one being... Um, on the ground and there always been two umpires around the ball and around the contest now and a little bit of a, you know, delay in wanting to blow the whistle, not wanting to blow over the top of a, the other umpire that might be sort of in the vicinity of the contest as well. Um, look, I do like the concept of four umpires. Um, I think more eyes on the ball and more eyes on the play make sure that we eliminate the grey area and get more decisions right, which is good for the game. But it's also probably that tiptoeing around each other and not wanting to step on each other's toes a little bit as well. So in in concept, I think it's a great idea, but I still think there's a little bit of feeling out and some confidence in your co-umpire and how you work together as a team before we sort of get to a perfect model around the timing of free kicks and ball-ups and those sorts of things. But I think it's a great initiative by the AFL to, to have done that as well. And I think it will um, obviously fast-track the development of younger umpires as well. So if you've got you know, a young umpire, you know, running around with Matt Stevick or Brett Rosemary, um, you know, they are going to learn because, you know, they're running around getting an education from the, some of the best umpires that we have. Um, the other controversial topic from the weekend was Ken Hinckley's very strong defence of Jason Horn Francis, which um, he displayed at the press conference uh, after the Sports win over the Western Bulldogs. And, um, Nath, you touched on it earlier, but Jason Horn francis was pretty quiet up until three-quarter time. And then in that last quarter, he sort of, you know, picked Port Adelaide up, put him on his back and um, got 11 touches in the last quarter. And, um, you know, I think that Horn francis has copped, popped it a lot. But the thing that I'm struggling to deal with as a Port Adelaide supporter is – the fact that these aren't North Melbourne fans that are booing him. If it's a North Melbourne fan, like, that's fair game. You know, Jaden Stevenson came out in the media today and said, I got booed by Collingwood fans the first time that I played against my old club. So, um, you know, it was a pretty, as, you know, Ken said, it was a pretty courageous decision for him to to come home to Adelaide. And, um, you know, some people out there are probably going to think that I'm Port Adelaide biased, but I love my club and, you know, I love the fact that we were really aggressive in the offseason and got him out of North Melbourne because, you know, he's probably going to be a future captain of our club. Um, he's going to be a potential A-grade midfielder as well. So um, I think, you know, it's it's a little bit harsh remembering that he is a 19-year-old and a second-year player. And I think people are probably expecting him to do the Nick Dacos type things. And Nate's got a few things to say about Nick Dacos later in the show. But, um, yeah, I'll throw it to you first this time. Ash, what were your thoughts on Jason Horn francis and the treatment that he's been receiving from the media, notably David King and Fox Footy? Um, and what did you think about Ken Hinckley's defence of the young man? Well, I think good on Ken for sort of backing his players. And that's what you want to see from a coach. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing um, with uh, neutral AFL supporters, neutrals are not um, barracking for Port or for North booing Jason and Francis. Um, yeah, it's something that sort of staggers me. I've never been one to sort of sort of boo a player, but I think it all stems from the media and, and it's not just, you know, David King, Kane Corns, but just the general bashing of, of young talent Um Sometimes the media or supporters expect these players to develop really quickly and turn into A graders really quickly. And that just creates false expectations on sort of what these players are going to produce. And, and in return, sort of when they do have an off season or an, or an off game, that's when you get sort of the outrageous calls in the media. So I think good on Ken and uh, good luck to Jason with sort of whatever his future holds. And Jason Horn Francis is, uh, you know, very highly thought of at, at Port Adelaide. 
um, you know, family connections. So the club are, are doing all the right things. And um, it's another reason that the Port Adelaide team love Ken Hinckley. And um, from when my brief time working at the club, um, you know, everyone spoke really highly of Ken, his ability to build relationships. And, um, you know, as a Port Adelaide supporter the other night um, in the press conference, I absolutely love what he did, you know, I love it when the coach stands up for your, your players. You know, we've seen Damien Hardwick and Alistair Clarkson do things like this in the past and, you know, potentially cop flack for it. But, um, you know, in the last year of your contract, why wouldn't you go down swinging and do everything you can to, you know, maintain your um, relationship with the players? Nathan, I'll throw it to you next. What are your thoughts on Jason Horn, Francis? Yeah, look, I think to echo what Ash said, I, I, I'm a big fan of Ken. He's um, not only is he a good coach, but he's a good people person as well. He understands his players and he knows what to say. He's very, very well spoken in the media. And, you know, you saw the footage of him uh, with Jason Horn Francis on the bench and then also after the game as well. And they're telling their father figure like interactions that he's having with Jason Horn Francis to say that, you know what, who cares what's being said about you outside of the four walls? We love you, we value you, and you are a winning football player, um, and that's all you need to focus on. And I think that sort of shone through in the fourth quarter, especially when the game was up for grabs. Um, he sort of grabbed the ball by the horns as such, um, and not single-handedly, but played a big role in winning that fourth quarter and winning that game for Port Adelaide. I think he copped a lot of unnecessary flack, as Ash said, from the media for his departure from North Melbourne, um, the ice, ice bars, situation and then the whole leaving Port, uh, leaving North Melbourne and wanting to go to Port Adelaide and really got the rough end of the deal. And I think about it like this where I think back to when I was 19 and I was still living at home with my parents and the last thing I thought about was moving you to state to play in the AFL on a highly scrutinised, um, you know, stage every single week. You know, he's lived that and he's now made a decision to move home. And I think it's great. It's player empowerment and, you know, look, sure, it sucks for North Melbourne, but they've picked up the pieces you know, through Alistair Clarkson and Harry Sheasel and a couple of really good off-season recruits. So it's not like they're sort of crying poor at the bottom of the ladder either. And, you know, Jason Horn francis is home, he's happy, and he's now got an environment where he can play good football, and be surrounded by the network that's going to enable him to do that long-term as well, which I think is really, really important. I think that something that's very much overlooked when we talk about the Jason Horn-Francis trade was the fact that this Hawthorne racism scandal um, was, you know, really hot in the media at the time around trade period, um, and it was, you know, just announced after the end of the AFL grand final Um you know, that wouldn't have been easy for Jason Horn francis because he was already 50-50 about going home. Um, you know, there was a bit of uncertainty about whether Alistair Clarkson and Chris Fagan, you know, would stay in their roles at their respective clubs. Um, and I think that's something that was overlooked at the time. And, um, you know, if that scandal doesn't happen, Jason Horn francis might have stayed at North Melbourne. It's... Um, it's one of the, the great unknowns. Let's continue talking about Port Adelaide. Uh, they were very impressive on Saturday night getting the win over Western Bulldogs. And a player that I really want to highlight is Zach Butters. Um, I was pretty big on the show last week about his performance against Sydney. And um, I'm going to go down. I think he should be the next captain of Port Adelaide. Um, I know Ollie Wines would be the obvious choice, but... Um, I'm not sure how old Ollie is now, but I think it would be great for the club to go with one of those young superstars that they picked up in that 2018 draft. And um, Zach Butters just oozes, you know, jump on my back, boys, let's go sort of mentality. And um, his last two weeks have been really strong, a bit quiet the first couple of weeks of the season, but, um, you know, he's he's someone that I, I really admire from the outside and, um you know, you talk about Rosie, you know, being in great form at the moment. Xavier Dersma starting to play consistently. Didn't have the biggest of games on Saturday night, um, but I think his work this season has been a really good improvement on what we've seen in the past couple of years. Talk about Jason Horn Francis going into that midfield. Um, and I thought Travis Boak was outstanding on Saturday night as well. And um, something that's been underestimated was um, Willem Drew's um, job on Bontempelli after halftime. And, um, 
I think if it wasn't for Cody Waitman, the Dogs wouldn't have been anywhere close to winning that game. Just shows the impact that Cody Waitman um, has for the Western Bulldogs. Um, And we talk about their forward line being a little bit dysfunctional. It was basically Cody Waitman or bust. And um, not that I'm trying to toot the Port Adelaide trumpet too much, but um, Aaliyah Aaliyah has been fantastic this season. And as Kane Corns and a few others on the Sunday footy show said, uh, he's back to his All-Australian best that he was in 2021. But um, Ash, what are your thoughts on Port Adelaide from the weekend? And what does it mean for the dogs as well? Yeah, well, Port Adelaide, bit of a mystery, aren't they? Um have had some really great performances and some really terrible performances. Uh, and I agree with what you sort of said with Cody Waitman or Bust. It, it seemed like a massive disconnect between sort of their midfield and, and forward lines, really struggling to sort of get clean entries and, and find targets. Um, and, and what does it mean for the dogs as well? I think um, they're in a bit of a position mid-table. Uh, what does it mean for Bevo? Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to last... Uh, very long. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one because the dogs were a team that either you had them in the eight at the start of the year, or you saw them in that mid table, you know, somewhere between you know nine and twelve. And I predicted they would slide. Um, it, I think just the loss of Josh Dunkley has been something that's been. Um, not talked about too much. And I know that the dogs have a bunch of fantastic midfielders, you know, Bond and Pelly, McRae, Smith, Brelaw. Um, But I just feel like Dunkley's ability to win the ball inside and then go forward and kick goals as well has been really undervalued this season. And, um, you know, he's not setting the world on fire at Brisbane at the moment, but he is, you know, a solid contributor to the Lions each week. So, um, and Josh Bruce is out for a little bit of time now after um, popping a knock to the ribs on Saturday night, he was subbed out. Um, yeah. Nathan, what are your thoughts on the dogs? Um, I'm probably not as concerned um, from their performance on, on the weekend. I thought, you know, up until what, 10 minutes into the fourth quarter, they looked just as likely to win as what Port Adelaide did. Um, you know, Bonton, Pelly and Trelaw had 50% of their clearances um, for the night, which shows how reliant they are on those two boys winning the uh, the contest around the ball. We did, And that was probably the same last week as well. I think the only difference is, is Richmond didn't throw a tag onto Bonton Pelly last week and he continued his form in the second half, whereas this week, obviously, as you mentioned before, Willem Drew went to him in the second half, eight touches, you know, really nullified his impact on the game. And that was probably the difference in the end. Um, I'm big on Cody Waitman. I've spoken about him a couple of times and I'm not sort of surprised that he bobbed up. The conditions were perfect for a small forward like him to sort of really shine through. Um and I'm probably not as concerned as either about their tall forwards. So the tools being Lobb, Jamara, and um, Norton, the conditions weren't really suited to them. Um, yeah, okay, sure, the, the uh, delivery may have not been perfect for them, but again, slippery, greasy, wet ball, you know. You give them a pass uh, this week, I think. Um I think the impressive thing probably to touch on Port Adelaide as well is also Charlie Dixon. You know, he's a massively underrated player, not just in the AFL, but in the Port Adelaide team at times. He wasn't kicking goals on the weekend, but, you know, Ken made the big call to sub Lysette off for um, Jackson Mead in that third quarter, you know, to go small and really play to the conditions. And Charlie, a little bit banged up as well. I thought his role playing in the ruck, but then also going forward and making impact at the contest when the ball was coming in was was a game changer for Port Adelaide because it really meant that players like Rosie and Butters, Horn Francis, you know, and their small forwards, Junior and Mead coming on as well, really could, you know, play to their full potential. And I think that was a masterstroke by Ken. So, again, Doggies, you know, look, disappointing loss. They had the game, they had the win and they lost. But, you know, they'll bounce back this week against Freo, I think, in Port Adelaide. Yeah, really good win, I thought. Yeah, I was going to actually touch on Scott Lysette. Um, as, a, as a Port Adelaide supporter I you know I think he's struggling a little bit since his shoulder injury last year and um, I think you know Finlayson and um, Dixon did an admirable job in the ruck last year but do you think Port Adelaide need to move past Scott Lysette I'll throw it to Ash first on this one you know you've got 
Bryn Tickle, um sit in the sandfall at the moment. Same with um, Sam Hayes as well. Would you be looking to make a change in that one? Because, you know, Tickle's a bit more athletic, got a bit more spring in his step, whereas um, Sam Hayes is a very, you know, a body ruckman. Yeah, um, it's an interesting one. Only two touches and 15 hitouts for him. Um, I'm a big fan of Bryn Tickle. I think I had him in my uh, fantasy team last year or this year or <laughs> whenever. Um, he also played um, Scott Lysette under 50% game time. So I think Port Adelaide potentially need a look at some more versatile options as well. So um, that's why I'm a fan of, um, you know, Charlie Dixon and uh, Finlayson. Finlayson? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I think, it's, um, I think the other thing with that as well, Callum, is you look at the trend of the Ruckmans that are dominating the league at the moment, and they're, they're more the agile, athletic, and get around the ground sort of a Ruckman. So you look at your, your, your Tim English and your Rowan Marshalls and your, your Grundy Gorns to a lesser extent as well, and they're very mobile and get around the ground quite well, whereas I think obviously Lysett is a little bit older, a little bit more banged up, but his strength was never his mobility of getting contest to contest and being able to impact it when he was at the contest as well. So I think especially a Bryn Tickle, who's that little bit more younger, agile ruckman, could be the go as well to sort of, you know, spice up and add a little bit of youth to that midfield as well, especially in those ruck contests, I think. Yeah, I've been thinking this for a couple of weeks, but I think now with him, you know, getting subbed out, um, you know, I think it might be time for Port to make a change. Um, let's talk about um, the Brisbane Lions really quickly. You know, a very dominant performance over North Melbourne and Mount Barker. But I think the most pleasing thing from Brisbane point of view was the performances of um, Joe Danaher and Eric Kipwood. Um, you know, it's good from a Brisbane Lions point of view. But as we've talked about on the podcast, you know, we can't overreact when it's these types of performances against a developing opposition in, in North Melbourne and no disrespect to North Melbourne. Um, it's just where they are currently at. But, um, Nath, I'll throw it to you again, mate. Um, what are your thoughts on the Brisbane Lions and, um, you know, are you seeing more positive signs? Because we have been quite critical of the on the podcast so far. Look, I, I think when we're well entitled to call it out when they don't play well, but I also think we should praise them when they do. And I think Danaher and Hipwood took advantage of the situation they found themselves in on um, on Saturday. You know, where they kicked nine goals, they had 23 marks, eight, uh, 18 inside 50. So that's a dominant performance. And, you know, they did have their kicking boots on to an extent. I think Danaher probably could have and should have kicked seven or eight. Um, so, look, you know, it was an impressive performance. You know, Lockie Neal got his hands dirty through the midfield and won a lot of contested balls. Will Ashcroft sort of look like, you know, what we expect him to be as that dominant midfielder as well. Um, and the Smalls got involved late on with Rayner and Charlie sort of kicking a couple late. The only sort of asterisk I would put alongside this is I thought North Melbourne played very, very, very small in their back line. And that was very evident the amount of times that um, Hitwood and Danaher sort of you know, overpowered um, and towered over their opponents, you know, Griffin Logue and Ben Mackay in particular, um, they made them look like children at times. And I think that was a little bit concerning as well. But look, you know, Brisbane are a powerful team and they do have the ability to kick big scores, you know, 22 goals, 20. Like, God, if they had a kick straight, that could have got real messy real quick. But look, you know, praise them. They played well. They backed it up. It wasn't just, you know, a fluke the other week against Melbourne. Um, so, you know, they, they're on the road this week against GWS. You hope they can continue that form now. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we'll talk about the Bombers now, and I'll throw it to Ash for, for this bit. But um, it's a shame that Jake's not here. Unfortunately, Jake's crooked tonight. Um, the one time that we want to actually talk the Bombers up. But um, I thought it was quite a concerning um, performance for Melbourne in particular. The fact that, you know, Draper and um, Phillips in particular were able to kick five goals um, between them on Rundy and be able to expose him um, with the two-way running. Um but what are your thoughts on both the, the Demons and um, the Bombers after this weekend? Uh, I, I think it's a, a very interesting game because not a lot of people would have seen a result like that. Um, so I, I think the thing which sort of concerned me 
from watching that game was the lack of sort of um, pressure applied by Melbourne on the ball carrier and just the way which Essendon were really able to transition the ball. Um, and, and potentially that's something to do with with the outs which Melbourne have had um, and, and a lack of continuity with sort of um, the players each week. But um, that's definitely something which you're gonna, which they're going to need to pick up because they're um, playing uh, Richmond this week. Who are no lousy opposition, but have a real sort of swarming sort of game style. And, and if Melbourne aren't switched on and, and prepared to sort of really dig in, sort of with their pressure all around the ground um, and really lock that ball in, then Richmond are, are going to have a day out. Yeah, as you touched on, Ash. You know, Melbourne have got some outs and. Uh, I think we saw the the true impact of Jake Lever not playing in conditions like that. You know, the his ability to come off and spoil or intercept um, is he's probably the best player at the competition in doing that, along with Tom Stewart. So um, the fact that, um, as you mentioned, the Melbourne team hasn't had much continuity with injuries is quite concerning. But um, in terms of where I see them at the end of the year, this doesn't deter me in any way. But my a few teams might look at the way that they, um, you know, tackled the challenge of, of Brody Grundy. And um, I'm not sure how far away Max is. I think probably another three or four weeks. But um, I think it will be interesting to see if they played a similar type of thing like that, how it would go against the two rucks. But um, Nathan, we'll talk about your beloved Crows on Thursday night who kicked off Gather Round in absolute style, just electric in that first quarter with eight goals um, before quarter time. And, you know, the the way that they, they run, they're moving the ball, the way that they outnumber at contests. Um, you know, I think Darren Burgess has got to get a lot of credit for the way that the Crows are going at the moment. Um, you've certainly seen the improvements in their fitness Um you know, stamina over the last, you know, couple of years since he's come on and, um, geez, their forward line is so dangerous. Yeah, look, uh, I've got to say, I am going to try and keep a lid on it because it is only round five, but I've been very, very impressed. Um, you know, I think, you know, all Crow supporters and people around the league can probably argue that they could and probably should be 5-0, and um, dropping the two disappointing games against GWS and Richmond. But the start was electric, and I was sitting there on the couch watching, probably not believing what I was actually watching because we sort of tore up a midfield of Carlton that is quite formidable, um, and we did it probably too easily at times. Um, but I think probably the upside for me is we've now shown over the last couple of weeks that we can win in different ways, which I think is really, really important the way the league's going. So we sort of showed on um, on on Thursday night that we can win the ball and be dominant through centre clearances. Um, but we've also sort of shown over the last couple of weeks that we can uh, win by D50 turnovers and really rebounding off of half back, um, but also off a of slow play as well, where we're sort of methodical and really build it up and play through the corridor. So we've got a couple of strings to our bow in regards to how we build up the play and how we can actually dissect teams. And as you mentioned, like our forward line, I feel like the balance we've got in our forward line right now is, you know, quite potent. Um, we've got numerous ways to actually win the game now. You know, Tex and Fogarty kick uh, eight between them. Uh, and our smalls being Rankin and Rochelle specifically were a little bit quieter, whereas in other weeks it's been the opposite where, you know, Tex and uh, uh, um, Fogarty and even Thorpe have been a little bit quieter. And Rankin and Rochelle have been the ones shining. So we've now got multiple ways of kicking goals. Um, and the midfielders and, and even the halfbackers are kicking goals. So, you know, Dawson and Smith rebounding off a halfbacker kicking goals. And even players that, are, you know, like Luke Peddler, who people haven't heard of, are consistently kicking goals as well. But I think the biggest thing that I've been impressed with with the Crows so far is our back line. Now, coming into the season, that was the biggest thing that I was worried about. I was pretty confident with our midfield and our, our forward line being what it is, but our back line was a little bit shaky. We've got some good rebounders with Mitch Hinge um, and Brody Smith specifically, and even like a Chase Jones and Wayne Miller as well, but our key backs worried me. Um, Jordan Butts and... Um, Nick Murray have been fantastic so far. I thought the way that we defended Kerno and Mackay, making it really hard for them and only really giving them marks outside of 50 was fantastic. And then I thought our third tall in Tom Duday really being that third up in a contest and impacting that way was fantastic. And then our father-son pick in um, Max Michelaney, 
you know, he got the rising star in probably one of his lesser games, I thought, for the season so far. He's done a job now on every week on the opposition's uh, best small forward, and he's done really, really well. So I think, you know, it's a very young and inexperienced backline that I think over time will continue to develop. And if we can keep that core together, we're really looking like now we've got a team that could be complete in the next two to three years through further development exposure at this level for our young players and our senior players hanging around and being those leaders that they are at the moment. So I think the club's in a fantastic position. We've got a really tough month coming up, but, you know, it's positive signs for the Crows, which for the first time since 2017 is kind of nice to be able to say and look at and go, yeah, this team does have potential. I certainly like the way that the Crows are playing at the moment, even as a Port Adelaide supporter. Um, but I still think with a side that it's overall very young, there might be that, you know, period where they do taper off and whether that's in the middle of the year and their buy comes around and they rebound really well or whether it's towards the end of the year, I still think that little lull will come at some point. But um, the way that they're playing at the moment, you can't really, you know, criticise them. And, um, you know, I think they probably should have been, a lot closer in that Richmond game, but I still think that the Giants played unbelievable in round one. The Crows definitely had their opportunity, their opportunities in the first half, but um, I still think GWS overall were the better side in that contest. Ash, let's flip the coin. Let's talk about your Blues. Um, and it seems to be with the Blues, if they don't win the contested possession, um, their midfield does get stretched. They're all, they're not, they're, they're not super quick across their midfield, you know, all relatively one-paced. Um, Walsh came back in for his first game of the year from a syndesmosis injury, um, and he'll get better in the weeks to come. But what did you make of the performance from Carlton? And um, are you just going to sort of wipe it off for a week and not worry about it too much? Or, um, you know, is this something that Michael Voss potentially needs to be concerned about going forward? I think it's a bit of both. I think it was a completely dominant performance by Adelaide who just completely um, destroyed Carlton across all areas of the ground, backline, midfield and forward line. I think the thing which uh, – there were two things which sort of mainly concerned me. Um, like you mentioned, Carlton, the, um, the, the one pace and one-dimensional um, uh, speed of, of Carlton's midfield. It was the first game of the year where they had Cripps, Walsh, Hewitt, Kennedy, and Chera all available. Yet it seemed the slowest, and um, the midfield just applied the least amount of defensive pressure. You, you saw guys like Cripps ju- just running, and uh, similar to sort of Jason Horn Francis um, in, in weeks gone by. Sort of some of the footage which someone like came. Um, some of the journos would have, would have mentioned with him at the back of the um, back of the contest with the opposition just streaming away and him just walking. That, that, that was sort of guys like Cripps. That was guys like Hewitt. Uh, and it was just unacceptable. And the other thing was just how predictable um, Carlton's ball movement was, very stagnant, um, a lack of a will to, to go through the corridor, just, you know, for, out from kickouts to the pocket, long down the line to the wing, and then entering inside 50. It was bomb it long to Charlie or Harry or bust. Um, it, it was complete domination. And I think, obviously, it's just their first loss of the season, so nothing to be overly sort of paranoid about at this stage. And I'm sure they'll bounce back. Who knows if they'll beat St Kilda or not. But, yeah, good on the Crows. I think just as much credit needs to be given to them as sort of as much of a failure that Carlton had. Probably a quick question, Ash, around your Blues. and. I'm not sure if it's a long-term concern or not, but you saw Pitnet went down early and he's sort of like your big brute ruckman. Is Tom DeConing a long-term option in the ruck? He sort of, you know, got a little bit overshadowed or dominated rather by Riley O'Brien, who isn't a massively physically present player or dominant like a Sean Darcy or someone like that. Is that a concern going forward for Carlton? If Pitnet, you know, he's had his injury, uh, you know, concerns in the past as well. I think it is, and I think what's worked best in the past was sort of having Pitnet, who's more of that physical type ruckman, take the load for, for most of the game and then sort of have deconing sort of at the end of quarters or at the games when everyone's sort of uh, a bit, bit tired, use his athleticism to really jump over 
and, and sort of be more of a presence. But I think the problem is is with guys like Pitnet, with guys like Deconing, even Silvani in a way, um, just not versatile enough. And, and if they're not sort of on the ball, then what they're providing outside of that is they're just a bit of a passenger. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's really hard to tell because none of the three have really excelled in, in any position, whether it be up forward, in the ruck, and you sort of can't play too many of them either because it really sacrifices a lot of the speed and ball movement. So on one hand, you kind of want to see the talent of someone like DeConing. And on the other hand, I just don't know how much longer we can keep playing all these tools when it's just not clicking. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting point that you make on the Carlton Ruck situation, and um, it's obviously a big year for Deconing as well, being out of contract. You know, we talk about St Kilda and Sydney showing a lot of interest in him. Um, but I suppose another area of Carlton's team, you know, lineup that does concern me is those small forwards. You know, um, um, Owies and Honey um, and Durden, you know, they're solid citizens, but um, I don't feel like they're the long-term solution for Carlton. And do you think that, Ash, you know, Carlton should go out and look for a specific small forward at the end of end of the year, or is it a bit too harsh on those three fellas? Um, I don't think necessarily. I mean, we were, we were pretty close to getting Tom, pa- Tom Papley a few years back, which certainly seems to haunt us every week. He kicks four, five, six. Um, but I think guys like Motlop, it's just his second year, Corey Durden, just his third year. Uh, and it's going to take a bit of time there. And then you also see guys like Jack Barton, who came across on a, a pretty sort of um, a, a decent contract, both salary and, and lengthwise, but just continuously injured. Guys like Zach Fisher just hasn't come on um, as he probably should have. So I think it's a mix between some really disappointing guys like Martin Fisher, Cunningham, and then just sort of trying to be patient with guys like Durden and Motlop, who are still young and only played sort of 20-odd games. Um, And I feel like they would get a lot more involved if the entries inside 50 were were slightly better instead of sort of bombing top of the square, have, you know, it marked miraculously by you know, Mackay or Kerner or be rush with uh, rush behind, sort of lowering the eyes, looking for those smaller, medium-sized targets, um, similar to like the pros sort of do really well, um, you know, bring guys like Rankin and Rochelle into the games. I feel like that's it's definitely something to work with and it's something that's been a problem for a long time. So definitely something to be fixed. Well, we've had a good chance to talk about our teams uh, this week. So let's move into the AFL fantasy uh, segment. So not a, not a fantastic round for me. I got 1954 um, and I was saved by Nick Dacos's uh, 136 in the last game of the round. But um, just the rookies this week were sort of pulling me down a little bit. You know, Gimby got a, um, 43 and Wilmot got a 57, which is not fantastic. But um, the fact that Warple was able to get me 114 is uh, quite a good thing. And I think he's been able to fill um, Will Day's role in that midfield quite nicely. So um, still having to play Ollie Hollands on my field, which is not fantastic. Wits missing another week uh, really hurt me. Um I thought if I held him for one week, I may as well hold him for two. So I expect him to be back in the lineup this week. But my forward line was pretty good overall with Rosie, Taranto, Dunkley, uh, Cogs, and Sheasel. Uh, had Humphrey on my field with the 29, which is not great. Um, so that, you know, F6 and that, um, you know, M8 um, sort of spot is what let me down this week. So in terms of trades this week, even though it's a Tuesday, um, I've downgraded Cam McKenzie to uh, Mitchell from the Hawks. He's a defender forward at 229K. Uh, he scored all right on the weekend. And I've decided to use my 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 chest and uh, I've upgraded Lloyd Meek to Rowan Marshall. Meek started the season off 
in the first couple of games quite nicely and I thought he might be a good cash generator, but uh, it's time to get Rowan Marshall and in the next few weeks. I might look at upgrading Wits to, to English, but Wits, he's been doing all right for me at the moment. So, uh, Ash, how did your fantasy team go this week? Oh, I'm so happy I said and forget Marshall and, and English uh, in the preseason and it was quite um, quite entertaining coming to the last game of the round and just having Dacos and English to play and just seeing both of them score 120, 130 plus. Um, so, so that was quite nice to watch. I scored at 266, which is um, all right considering I fielded a 29 from uh, Lockie Cowan, sorry, 39 from Lockie Cowan and a 29 from Jacob Van Royen. Um, I think this week I'm definitely looking to trade out a few of those mid prices. Um, I've been holding Charlie Constable, so definitely time to trade him out. Ruben Ginby, um, who else is there? Darcy Wilmot probably still making a bit of cash, so you can probably hold him. Um I've brought in Alex Chintotta, who I have a feeling will debut for Carlton. He's been absolutely racking it up 30-plus touches each week in the VFL. So if he does debut, he's, um, I'm expecting him to be a high scorer, especially with injury concerns for Saad, who might miss with the hammy. Doherty obviously already gone. So the role is well and truly there for him. Um, if not, then I'll go, like you mentioned, Carlton with um, Seamus Mitchell. The other one I've brought in, Oscar Allen. Now, I'm not a fan of bringing in mid prices, especially key forwards, but <laughs> he, he's had some some decent games. I, I think he's kicked a bag of two, two, three. What am I looking at? I think I'm looking at the wrong thing. Um, but but he, he's kicked multiple goals in each of the five weeks. So, you know, he's scoring decent and scoring some 90s. Um, in the f- past few weeks, and a bit of cash generation there. I'm not sure how you boys feel about it. Nah, Ali Ali is playing on him this week. No chance. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> what about you, Nathan? Uh, well, I had a good week. So I had a 2,094. Um, got a, about 5,000 up in the rankings, which is nice. So um, I think the most impressive thing for my week was uh, having uh, two – Trades come good. Um, so I got him English finally, and he had a big score, 123. I uh, enjoyed watching him run around on Saturday night, and even more so when set went off because I knew that it was going to get real ugly real quick um, as well. So that was good to watch. And then um, I brought in Tim Kelly from the um, the Eagles as well, and after a slow start here, um, he got 100 on the dot. Um, a lot of tackles as well, which was really, really nice. I think he had 11 in the end. So I was really glad to see that one pull on, come off for me. Bit of a player of difference as well with only 2.5% ownership in the game as well. So um, that was really, really nice from my perspective as well. And I'm in a bit of a pickle this week because I um, I held Will Day and, and I'm like, well, if I've held him for the first week, I may as well hold him for the second week. But I've also got Tom Green, which means now I've got to play two players on the field that I definitely don't want to do. But I'm also thinking long-term as well that I'm probably going to hold both because on the other side of it, my team's going to look better. And as much as it kills me to watch Nick Dacos run around and get cheap possessions and cheap marks every single week, I'm going to wait one more week on him, I think. Uh, my strategy this week is a, probably a double downgrade of rookies that have probably hit their ceiling of cash generation for us. And I'm probably going to look to get him like a Matt Roberts from um, from Sydney or Ali, um, from uh, Matt Johnson, rather, from Frio, or potentially Tim Cotter as well, if he's going to come in as well for his debut this weekend, to really have a lot of money in the bank next week to potentially get two big guns, including Nick Dacos, finally. So... But in saying that, good plans always ruined by team selection. So I might hold my breath until Thursday and Friday night when the teams come out and then watch my dreams destroyed again because I got to scramble and make trades that I might not want to make. So something that I forgot to mention at the top of the show and now it's come to light um with the tribunal, but uh Cabanetti got um three weeks uh for his strike on Nathan Murphy. So Ash, what were your thoughts on the penalty and um, do you think it's fair? Do you think it should have been more? What do you reckon? I think it's fair enough. I think uh, it's not really an action you want to see in the game. Um, yeah, I don't think there's 
much more to be said. I think it's a worthy sort of punishment for him. The the fact that it got downgraded from intentional to careless just kind of baffles me a little bit. Because if that's rated intentional, that's at least four to five weeks. And the fact that it's been downgraded to careless, considering it was probably 100 metres off the ball, you know, Murphy got concussion. He has a history of concussions, a bit like McCartan in a way, not as much as McCartan, but he does have a history of concussions. So it's a lot easier for him to get concussions. So, um, yeah, I think he should have got five because of how far it was off the ball, the fact he got concussion as well. Um, and for me, that that's clearly intentional. He could, I think he said, I meant to hit him in the chest and got him in the chin. Um, it's still a strike, so I don't know. As, as you do, he meant to hit him in the chest and he hit him in the chin. Yeah, a bit, bit sceptical there. But, Nathan, what are your thoughts on that? whole incident. Look, I um I agree. I, I how this isn't intentional is beyond me. The fact that he's come out and said, regardless of where he was trying to hit him, he has said he's come out and said, I was trying to hit him. If that's not the definition of intentional, then I don't know what is. You know, I can understand in a tackling contest or whatever and the head hitting the ground that yeah, okay, that that might be careless. But when your back's turned to the play, the ball's, you know, in the middle of the ground and you hit a bloke, that's intentional. Um, minimum of a four straight up, probably four to six range. Um, I think it's a bit of a letdown here in this by the AFL and by the, the tribunal. Um, but look, you know, he's at least got the penalty and it's always funny, isn't it? You know, the one that retaliates is always the one that gets in trouble, you know. Nathan Murphy started that little stoush and did hit him but the one that always retaliates is the one that gets in trouble. So, you know, maybe that's a lesson for everyone out there is uh, don't retaliate and you'll be all right. Let's look at this from which is worse. What's worse? Broad's tackle on Pardell from the Crows, which he got four weeks for, or this. Ash, what's worse? Both at Adelaide Oval. Yeah, um, I I think I don't want to go for the boring answer and say they're roughly the same, but I reckon Caminiti probably just slightly just because it wasn't really a, a, a football sort of act. But then again, Broad was sort of really rough and, and just completely uncalled for. Um, I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> I'll wait for you guys to say before I'm making my mind. I'll go Caminiti. I, I, I think that's worse in my opinion. You know, I was pretty big on Broad getting, you know, five, five weeks at least if the AFL was super serious on concussion. I think four was fair enough. But um, the fact that it's a strike, head contact, intentional, bloke got concussed, you know, that's four major key points there already. So um, back turn to the play, 100 metres off the ball, I think it's a pretty clear winner in my opinion, but Nathan? I, I think even though probably visually Broads is worse than Caminiti's, I think his action and what he's actually done in being Caminiti is worse. You know, at least we can say that Broad was tackling a play with the ball and making a play, and even though he got it wrong, you know, what Caminiti, Caminiti did is inexcusable. It's not a footy action. It's got nothing to do with playing the game as such, you know. And the other thing that we've got to think about is that's not a good look. You, you think about the amount of children and kids watching on TV and everything would see that, and that's not how we want to promote the game. And I understand what Nathan Broad did is the same, but what Caminiti did has got nothing to do with football. Um, and it's not setting the right message for the youth and what we want our game to be about either. So, yeah, I, I think even though Brawls probably looked worse, I think <clears throat> Cabinetti did is, you know, is pretty pretty poor. Yeah, and it's a it's a big loss for St Kilda with the amount of injuries that are um, on their list already. Um, Membry, I think, will come back this week. So it will be a somewhat good like-for-like replacement in terms of the role that they play. But, um you know, he's going to miss three games. He's going to miss against Carlton. He's going to miss against Port Adelaide. I'm not sure who the Saints are playing in round um, eight. But, um, yeah, it's a pretty big, 
big blow for the Saints, who have had a really good start to the year. Um, let's preview this weekend's round of games. So we start on uh, Friday night. The Dockers take on uh, the Bulldogs in Perth. I'm probably expecting the Dogs to get up here. Uh, the fact that the Dogs are $2, 2 205 on sports bet at the moment, uh, I feel like there's some good value there. If you're looking at the Dogs 1-39, to um, I reckon that's pretty good. I think, you know, Fremantle's win over the Suns, it was it was a solid win, the fact that they came back from behind, but I still think Fremantle have a lot of problems going forward and, uh, you know, just kind of makes me even more concerned about the Suns. Port Adelaide take on West Coast at Adelaide, Adelaide Oval on Saturday Arvo. Um, the Brisbane Lions take on uh, the Giants in Canberra from the looks of it. Um, and the Swans will head down to uh, GM HBA Stadium to take on the Cats is what probably looks like the match of the round. Um, hopefully the Swans will, um, you know, get some some players back, um, you know, with the McCartan boys, probably Dane Rampey as well. On Sunday, um, we've got the Hawks taking on the Crows in Launceston. Probably expect the Crows to get the job done there. Sunday afternoon is probably that other big game that we were just talking about. Carlton are taking on St. Kilda at Marvel. Um, and Sunday twilight as well is the Suns taking on North Melbourne. Um, I feel like that's going to be a very interesting game to watch and probably, you know, big ramifications if the Gold Coast lose that one. Uh, the traditional uh, Anzac Eve clash on Monday night will see uh, Melbourne taking on Richmond, um, probably expecting Melbourne to bounce back there. And obviously the big one on Anzac Day, which is Tuesday next week, uh, that will be Collingwood taking on Essendon, uh, both missing uh, Taylor Adams and Zach Merritt respectively for their sides. Uh, Ash, what games do you like from this particular weekend of footy coming up? Well, I think Anzac Day clash sort of has, has to be the one. Um, both sort of ladder position-wise and just sort of the nature of the game. Um, bit of a side note, but how do we feel about Thursday night footy not being on the fixture until around 13? I uh, personally hate it. Um, you know, it's something good to look forward to when you've had a hard, a hard day at work, to be honest. Um being, particularly being a teacher, you, you're just waiting for footy to come around. So, um yeah, I, I think Thursday night should be a pretty permanent fixture. Um, you know, I understand there might be a few weeks here and there where you don't have it, but um, I think it should be a staple. Most nights is really good for, for TV. Probably not as good for spectators to go to the ground in terms of crowd numbers, but in terms of, you know, generating a television audience, um, I think there's good. it's a good concept, Nathan. Yeah, look, I'm flat. I, I love a Thursday night game. I can sort of understand maybe this round why it's not um, happening just because of, you know, the, the Tuesday Anzac Day game. But I think it's great. You know, it it, it uh, makes the weekend feel longer. Um, but it also spreads the games out as well. It means that they're not trying to cram four or five games in on a Saturday, which I think is pretty important. And especially if you want to try and have, you know, maybe like a, a twilight and a Saturday night blockbuster sort of game that, people can view um it sort of you know limits the options a little bit so i'm all for it um i say the more days that footy are on live tv then the better um but yeah i am a little bit flat about that yeah i agree with you nathan so if you i'm um, not only said it makes the weekend feel longer sort of footy on more days is a, a win-win for everyone but it means that you're not having five games on a saturday which i mean it won't happen this week but next week you're going to have five games on Saturday, game one overlapping with game two, game two overlapping with game three, and then you have games four and five starting at the same time, which it's it's just a bit too much uh, and, and hard to keep on top of all of it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty disappointed. Yeah, and in terms of results from, the, from this particular round that we're looking at, um, you know, I think that we're all expecting, you know, things like the Crows to get it done over Hawthorne. We're probably expecting Port Adelaide to get the chocolates over the West Coast Eagles at, at home against an injury-ravaged West Coast Eagles. But uh, I think the game that I talked about as uh, Geelong and, and Sydney on Saturday night, that's going to be pretty 
pretty good viewing. Um, we mentioned Anzac Day as well. With the fact that Collingwood and Essendon have both started the season off really well, um, I think it just makes Anzac Day even more exciting. Um, but, Nate, what are some games to you that really stand out? Um, yeah, probably just a touch on the Geelong Sydney. I'm really, really looking forward to that. I think last the last game last year was a bit of a letdown for everyone. Um, so I'm really looking forward to um Sydney having the opportunity to go down there and watch Geelong unfurl that flag at, you know, GMHBA. And then I'm really hoping that Sydney come out and, and touch them up. You know, Geelong are a little bit hit and miss. They've beat up on two weak teams. Um, and Sydney are in red hot form at the moment after a really good win against Richmond. So I'm expecting that to be a cracker. Um, I'm going to go big here and say I reckon Richmond's season's over if they lose to Melbourne. Um, it would take them to six points after five games, which, you know, if the teams above them keep winning, which it looks like they probably will this round, that's a three-and-a-half-game gap potentially. Can they make it up? Yes, but, you know, they don't, they've don't. they got a couple of soft balls after this, but they do have a tough draw overall. Um, and with their injury list growing and, you know, Lynch and Nankervis specifically being out, I reckon this could be, uh, you know, a tough one to come back for for, um, for Richmond, unfortunately. And the last one is Anzac Day. You know, it's a spectacle regardless of how good both teams are going into the game, but we're so blessed that they're second and third on the ladder at the moment. And my big call for the weekend is I think Essendon win. Um, obviously, Merritt being out hurts, but I think what Brad Scott did last week or on the weekend rather with the ruck duo of Phillips and Draper and exposing an all-Australian ruckman in Brodie Grundy the way they did, what can he conjure up this weekend with a ruckless Collingwood? Um, I'm really excited to see. And I also kind of hope they do tag um, Dacos as well because, you know, I, I think it's about time they put someone on him. Um, and I'm happy to talk to that in the coming weeks as well. But, yeah, my big one is I reckon Essen beat Collingwood on um, on Anzac Day. And uh, who do we think wins out of Gold Coast and North Melbourne up at uh, Heritage Bank Stadium? So used to saying Metricon. Oh. I think Gold Coast. I'm personally not tipping any upsets this week. I'm going pretty sort of normal. I reckon Gold Coast will uh, just get the job done. I think um, the only thing that tipped me over the edge is that they're playing home at you know at um, Heritage Bank Stadium. But yeah, it's not exactly the um, the greatest game to watch. Um, but what can you do? I feel like it will be very entertaining. I'm the, I'm the opposite. I'm pick, I'm picking North Melbourne. I I think that North will win, but I also think the headlines coming out of it will be great because you know there's a lot of chat around Alistair Clarkson coaching the Gold Coast Suns. So it'd be very ironic if he goes up there and beats Gold Coast. But then on the flip side of that is if Gold Coast lose, I think Stewie Jew is going to be sweating in his seat um, because his job now has to be has to be under under a lot of uh, pressure to um, you know, make that move. Yeah, I think um, there's big ramifications for that. And I think big ramifications if uh, Fremantle lose as well, um, you know, beat up on an in- in- injury-ravaged West Coast Eagles. And, um, you know, they beat Gold Coast, who probably at this point in the season we're not expecting them to do too much. But... Um, you know, it'll be a good test for them against the the dogs. You know, they came from 41 points down to win that elimination final last year. So um, a lot to watch this round. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Mojo Sports AFL show. Nathan, Ash, always good to chat with you boys. Thanks very much for your time this evening. Uh, make sure that you follow our Instagram page, which is Mojo Sports AFL, and we'll see you on next week's episode. Take care, everyone. Cheers.